Welcome to E-Commerce Insights, trends, tips, and lessons learned, sponsored by Atmosol, a leading e-commerce technology company based in Chandler, Arizona, and Dallas, Texas. Each month, we talk to e-commerce entrepreneurs, vendors, and experts who share their expertise, experiences, and thoughts about navigating the ever-changing world of e-commerce. Ready to get started? So are we. Join host Ram Mohan and co-host Honey Olson with today's guests. Hi, and welcome to e-commerce insights, trends, tips, and lessons learned. This podcast is about bringing people together to discuss the vast landscape of e-commerce covering topics like technology, conversion optimization, branding, and marketing. The show focuses on how to build, manage, and grow your online business using scientific and predictive methods, thereby reducing uncertainty and risk. Today, we will be discussing B2B e-commerce with our guest, Maria Trinjalia. Now, I probably murdered that. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, senior Solutions Consultant at Avalara. Uh, Scott Daly, which is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Carl Stahl Sava Industries, and John Ciceri, Digital Marketing Coordinator at Carl Stahl Sava Industries. So welcome, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us today. So we're going to start off just by having you introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about your role and about your company. My name is Scott Daly. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I spearhead Carl Stahl Sava Industries. We affectionately refer to Carl Stahl Sava Industries as Sava. And I spearhead the company's marketing and sales department. To my right is John. My name is John. I was just brought in in June. I am a digital marketing coordinator here. Graduated in about 2018. So I'll be the most green to this conversation. But really what I'm doing here is just integrating a bunch of things that uh, really focusing on like social media, getting those kind of things up to date with where we are. And that's pretty much what I'm learning to do here and getting to do. Wonderful. Uh, thanks for having me. My name is Maria Trindali, and I'm a senior solutions consultant here at Avalara. Avalara is a sales tax compliance automation and services company. We're based in Seattle, and my role is a solutions consultant, meaning I consult with our partners and our prospective customers and our customers on getting tax compliance right, especially when not a lot of sales tax is charged. You might be uh, selling to those who are reselling your products or otherwise exempt, but I, I know a lot about the tax and finance world, so delighted to be here. My name is Ram Mohan. I am the CEO of Atmosol, um, one of the sponsors. And uh, me, I've been in the tech industry for about 25 years. Um, now, my current role is a little bit uh, flaky because I do a lot of things, but I run a tech company essentially of about 150 people located in different parts of the world doing lots of things, wearing different hats. But the, the thing that I'm most passionate about is trying to understand our clients' businesses and then trying to figure out how we can add most value to their business. So that's my passion, but you know, I do wear a lot of hats and, uh, and uh, that's it. Okay, and I'm Honey Olison. I'm the Director of Operations for Matmasol, the other co-host. And I have been in the e-commerce industry, e industry 12 years almost. Prior to that, I was mostly in building, so um, been with Atmos all the whole time, and I wear many hats, so I'm sales, marketing, and operations for Atmos all. So this is my first podcast for Atmos all, so here we go. All right, so I just wanted to say thank you all for joining, and uh, I'm going to start off with just a couple of facts to give people some kind of background of like what B2B has happened and what's happened in the industry. So... I was reading a report from Digital Commerce 360, and it said that in 2021, the online sales for business e-commerce sites 
login portals, marketplaces, increased 17.8% to $1.63 trillion. So B2B is definitely taking off and is here to stay. So the other part of that is that they also stated that 42% of distributors say that creating a more sophisticated website to meet their customers' needs is the biggest challenge for the coming year. So I wanted to kind of start it off with talking about maybe some of the challenges that you or your customers have come across in B2B commerce, e-commerce, and what challenges you may have faced going from, you know, more uh, trying to provide more of a personal touch to your customer base. I come from a, an agency background. Before I joined Sava four years ago, I worked almost exclusively with uh, advertising agencies. So um, my pedigree is similar to Honey's or Rom's in that I've supported many verticals, um, almost agnostic to vertical, right? Because as an agency, you just provide advertising services to whoever is knocking on your door. Um, what I can tell you is that having worked for a manufacturer for now four years, John, please pipe in when you feel like it. The thing that I've discovered uh, and I'll be very frank with you, is that uh, manufacturing, and it, obviously it's a B2B space, uh, maybe it's an important distinction to note, we don't sell to anyone without a tax ID number. So if you're a consumer, we don't care if you want a million feet of something, we're not going to sell it to you because you're not a business. Um, what I've learned in the four years is that there's a tremendous amount of low-hanging fruit in just being more responsive, um, just being quicker to reply quicker to even just quicker to acknowledge the receipt of information from a prospect is a massive differentiator. And you wouldn't think it, right? You wouldn't think that just responding quickly could be so sexy. But in the B2B space, I can testify that it is. It's actually a game changer if you are especially proactive getting back to buyers. Rom's nodding his head as I'm saying this. I can tell he gets it. Um, I wouldn't have thought something so academic would be uh, such a game changer, but in the B2B, I don't want to say B2B, in the manufacturing space, and, and in my career, I've supported many B2B businesses so that I'm working with a manufacturer in the last four years isn't to suggest it's all I've done, but my experience has been that if you are simply responding with haste and responsibly responding to buyers, it's a massive difference from what the buyer thinks is even um, possible. Mm -hmm. I, I have shared with my team many times over, we want to change what the buyer thinks is reasonable to expect from a B2B category. Right. And if we can change what people think is fair to expect out of us, most times it amounted to a little more than just being responsive. So I don't mean to be unceremonious in my answer, honey, but it really is simple. If you're responsive, if you're showing alacrity and dexterity, a little bit of composure and poise, I, I'm sorry it's true, but it is a differentiator. I'm sorry that it, it's so simple, but it is that simple. Would you disagree? Or? Yeah, and the expectation from buyers is going to be super high. All the information you need to get is going to be really, really quick. Sure. So if you were to get on any sort of site that you're on, building an e-commerce site that doesn't give you a quick answer, mm -hmm. it's exactly the opposite of what the buyers are used to when they're on any level of a site, working in like small, medium businesses, yeah, right. we're used to taking a little bit more time or that's been the traditional past of it. But if you're on a website for Amazon, you're going to get an answer like that. You're going to get an answer really, really quickly. For right, you want to emulate that. You have to emulate that because mm -hmm. that's what they're used to. 
Yeah. yeah. And it, it, is, it is stating, too, that, you know, the B2B buyers, um, as they you know, they are becoming more and more millennials, the millennials are coming into being the buyers now. <laughs> so the traditional sales of, I want to talk to someone, I want to develop a relationship with my salesperson, and I'm going to buy from them, is going away. And they want to go to the site. They want to see all the information. They want to know everything that they need to know up front because then then they'll reach out to someone. You know, then they'll develop the relationship. So content, you know, the old, the old saying content is king is becoming even more important in the B2B space. So, and that's manufacturers, distributors across the board. And, yeah, I would agree. You know, so, I mean, so you've got that front end piece, you know, that is very important now. Yeah, I can, I can give you a couple of stats about that. So uh, Harvard did, a, did a, a survey sometime back, which is common to all B2B. And their result was if a company reaches out to Scott's Point to someone within the first hour, you have a seven times more chance of having a fruitful conversation than if you do it after the first hour. There you so go. It, it was, yeah, it was, it was really astonishing to me as well. I mean, I knew that, you know, everybody wants a quick response, but the seven times was, was literally, you know, really good. And, and um, to uh, Ani's point about content being king, there's another uh, data from uh, Gartner that says that the modern buyer is only interacting with the salesperson 17% of the time. The rest of the 83% of the time, they're doing other stuff online, which is researching things, you know, making sure, comparing solutions, talking internally. Those are the things they're doing more. And that's where you need to have that content online. I mean, e-commerce can have different uh, meaning, different people, and we can talk about that. What part of e-commerce do you want to take online? You know, whether you're doing just a catalog or whether you're doing just fulfillment or reordering or whatever that is, but some sort of e-commerce, uh, you know, or at least the ability to discover your products online is necessary to afford today's buyer because, you know, they're spending that 83%. If you're not there, you don't even get a chance of the 17%. So that's, that's my take on that. So I know Maria that Avalar does more like of the tax compliance and, you know, and the B2B compliance and things like that. But I'm sure in working with, you know, your customers and, you know, other partners, you've probably heard a lot of this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I work with this every single day of my life. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, what John said is right. And what we say in the tax business is manage your exempt customers well. It, managing exempt certificates well, excuse me, is managing your customers well. Right. So to the point of doing business with your prospective customers and existing customers more quickly and professionally without having to call someone, the exemption certificates come into play. So you have to be able to sign up that customer, vet that customer, make sure there's someone you want to sell to and they're approved for your B2B pricing, perhaps, or just for buying from you in general, make sure they're a distributor and they're not someone else. That whole process needs to speed up. I talk with people every day who are launching a new web initiative or upgrading it or changing it. And they feel that their process for collecting and manage, managing certificates is fine. It's not broken. Well, fine, it's not broken, but it doesn't support the speed and accuracy and importance of an online purchase. So mm -hmm. I encourage you all as you're <laughs> launching or growing your online site, don't forget about the tax compliance piece. It can be a very painful part of purchasing from you. If you don't get the invoice right the first time, 
they might go buy from someone else. If you can't sign them up quickly and get these certificates in the system and apply them to invoices quickly without order delays, they're going to go to someone else. So, so tax is, compliance comes in. It's very important. So is compliance, as you from what you've seen at Valara, is, is compliance an issue? Is it a challenge or are companies struggling with this? Yes and no. So for one thing, manufacturers and distributors kind of don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So the economic nexus law is passed a little over four years ago now, and traditional manufacturing in the United States didn't really have to worry about where they were sending products. They only worried about having the state they had a physical presence in, and that was the only state they had to collect tax or certificates and file sales tax returns or report in, even if that was zero dollars. The laws changed over four years ago now to wherever you're shipping goods could require you to go ahead and register in that state and collect those certificates and report in just like you do in your home state. So a lot of businesses aren't uh, up to date. So before you launch an online initiative, you have to get your business caught up with the states registered in the right state so that as you grow your online business, you're already registered in those states and you've proactively collected exemption certificates from your buyers to make it quick and easy for them to buy online. So it's the it's a process. I would say do not let tax compliance keep you from going online, <laughs> but don't believe that those economic nexus laws only applied to online sellers. If you're sending goods into a state, that counts as transactions and revenue into that state. So your business needs to understand its compliance footprint as you grow this online part of your business. That that we had a a request for for help from somebody who was uh, actually wanted to do wine sales across states, and he was uh, telling me how complex that is because it's it's as you cross states, you have to give different states different amounts, and not only that, those excise taxes vary based on the composition of the liquor. So if you're at a certain percentage, then you pay this much. If you're at a certain other percentage, then you pay that much, and then put all the states together. And all of this has to be recorded and, you know, given back to the state at the end of the year, end of the quarter, whatever that is, or monthly, I'm not sure. But I mean, imagine that that if it's if it's not an automated thing, you know, that just would be impossible to do, in my opinion. Yet a lot of people still do it without automation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I find in my world that people are relatively familiar with their home state or maybe their neighboring states. Mm -hmm. But once you sort of get out of that, you can't human. What did I said yesterday? One of the reps was laughing at me. Uh, you have to um, have the expertise grow with your business. And, and we don't always have that. And that's where you want to bring in partners. And you've sort of lost your local expertise. You've got to partner with somebody and bring in automation. Otherwise, it's just not scalable. So we've talked kind of like with um, what automation does. So what if like in the case where Scott, where they don't actually sell the product online, is, is compliance still an issue? So how do you mean precisely? So, I mean, do you still have to abide by all the compliance laws, right? You still have to get the certificates. You still have to manage all of that. I mean, just because oh, it's yeah, not I mean, online. Yeah. I'm sorry? Just because it's not online, I mean, it doesn't exclude you yeah. from that. It's funny. Our website experience is, is slightly different in you know the B2B space in that we don't list any pricing at all, period. Okay. Um, and because we don't... Um, yeah, everything that is regulatory, everything that is... Uh, that it, it's part of the paperwork process. It's part of you know how we validate parts and send them out the door. And a large percentage of our customers require um, uh, a massive amount of validation documentation. But the financial transaction happens entirely outside the scope of that website. Yep. We 
we establish terms with customers on a case-by-case basis with D&B. Like it's, it's an entirely different exercise because we do not allow our website to be transactional. It's, our, it's sort of funny. Our website behaves as a, a shopping cart. Um, at least one half of it does, behaves as a shopping cart. But buyers are just asking for quotes from us. So right. we're, not at, we're actually asking them to request a quote and then we're providing them pricing. And of course, pricing is oftentimes in our world tiered because if you're going to buy 10 of a thing, you're going to get it at a different price than if you buy 1,000 yeah. of a thing. The compliance transaction, all of that stuff is happening completely separately um, through uh, the finance departments and our company and our customers' company. So the transaction is actually pretty easy on the sales side because it's literally just moving information between us and the buyer. It's actually right. pretty enviable because we don't actually have to handle Maria's problems <laughs> because we this department actually doesn't shoulder the transactional component. We actually have a finance department that actually supports it. So Maria, do you right. guys work with with companies that like Scott's where it's you know RFQ in the front and totally. everything sure. else is in the back? Yeah, so you still want to make it super easy for your customer. So there's things that John and Scott can do, like add a link to submitting that exemption certificate to the website or give it to their salespeople as they provide a quote. So you can get that customer information from them up front before you actually get to invoice time. What you don't want to do is hold up an invoice or shipping something by not having the proper information. So while finance might be handling it instead of John Scott's team, Finance is going to have an easier way of setting these customers up as an account um, faster. And there's also a lot of other things they can do, such as uh, when someone logs into their online account, they could see the certificates that they've already provided to John and Scott. And so if they have a new ship to in a state they've never shipped to before, the customer can proactively submit that to finance while they're getting that quote from the sales team. So yeah, absolutely. And, and to kind of answer your question from before, if whether you're selling through the website or not through the website or both, and you still have you know people coming in through the traditional orders, you have to ha- monitor your tax compliance through all of those channels, right? So we have to have that customer know that they're exempt. We create an invoice in our ERP, and we have to know that they're exempt if there is an online transaction, unlike John and Scott who don't. But if there is an online actual purchase point, you have to have that same information over there. And that gets really hard. Mm-hmm. How do we make sure that that customer is set up properly in both of our invoicing systems? Because those aren't usually, sometimes they connect, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're total separate revenue streams. So compliance, you know, you have to have <laughs> compliance across the whole organization. And there's lots of things now. There's lots of services and, and partners and automation that can help make that job less cumbersome for the staff They don't have to have the expertise. And frankly, the customer doesn't have to have the expertise. Here's the form I need. Send it in to me. And so the customer sending you the wrong thing, finance going, oh, that's the wrong form. I really need this form. Or I don't know what the form is in Missouri. So you can speed up that whole process with automation for sure. Well, we've talked about tax automation. Let's talk about marketing automation. So what have you experienced, Scott, since you've been with Sava and even prior in the other agencies? with the different types of programs out there for marketing automation and, and what have you actually done in your services? You know, it's interesting. Demand gen, I think it came of age through SaaS solutions, right? Like uh, there's tons of SaaS out there that uses demand gen strictly as almost their exclusive way of acquiring demos and leads. When I came here, because I came from an agency background, I came to a manufacturer, which in all ways it could be, it was dark, dirty, dangerous. It was confusing and weird and, and odd. And, and so there wasn't a lot of sort of 
there wasn't a lot of progressive thinking towards the marketing side. Matter of fact, when I arrived here, Sava's website, you had to do this to view it on a mobile phone. <laughs> so, so, um, so Sava knew that they needed to add some ability here, which is what I hope I bring to the company. But what's interesting is that I immediately had a head for demand gen, personalization, one-to-one interactions with prospects and going after ideal customer profiles exclusively. Mm-hmm. Whereas Sava might think, when I got here, Sava might think it's more of a confetti gun. It's more buckshot. You hit the bottom of it, it sprays like this, and you hope for the best. So what we've done here is, and it's funny, uh, I'm probably giving away, <laughs> I wouldn't think of this as anything but novel advice, but I think it's actually, it, it, it masquerades as groundbreaking because I think so few manufacturers are doing this stuff. But that's my way of saying that I didn't invent anything. <laughs> all I did, all I did was come here. And Maria is nodding her head. I, all I did was come here and implement a more responsible, more personalized, one to one lead gen experience. Right, mm-hmm. and by virtue of doing that, by virtue of choosing an extremely specific message to a, an extremely specific buyer persona, we'll call it the results were kind of predictable. I mean, I might've acted like, you know, like, yay, but I mean, it wasn't surprising to me at all that prospects were coming in because if you serve them a personalized message that specifically appeals to the problems they have day to day, well, the outcomes ra- become rather predictable. I, mean, I see my, my peers in this video nodding their head as I'm saying these things as though they seem to know it themselves. I hate to sort of turn on the house lights when we all want to slow dance, but it's really... <laughs> It's really simple. All we want to do is just give people, make people feel like we're only talking to them. I'm only talking to Ram. I'm only talking to Maria and Maria's unique set of, you know, business problems. And the phone rings. People will go, oh, tell me more, Scott. So what we've done here, uh, honey, actually more recently with Atmosol support, shameless plug, I guess, for you guys is... (laughs) Thank what you. we've done, what we've attempted to do, what we're gearing up to do, which we have been doing sort of a poor man's version of it, is automate the process by which we collect ideal customer profiles mm-hmm. and we serve a very specific, unique message to just those people. We don't do lookalikes. We don't try to find people to look like them. We go directly to these engineers, to these buyers, mm-hmm. and we hit them with a message that attacks the very problem they're dealing with every day. If we can speak to it, if we can articulate it, they say, sure, tell me more. It's not even hard if we personalize it. So I can see Marie's on the edge of her seat. I'm going to give her a chance to pipe in here. Um, but, but to your answer your question, honey, is that we didn't do any, I want to say we did something remarkable. We didn't. We just decided to speak directly to the buyer and precisely the tone and message they want most to hear from us. Do you agree? Absolutely. So you anything? Since we're dealing with mostly, say, engineers here, to learn how to speak to them in their particular tone of voice is actually pretty difficult. To learn exactly how these people, to learn their problems as a marketer, to learn an engineer's problems, that is a battle. It is. It's, it's, yeah, it's a curve. So once we were able to really personalize that, we're starting to see people come in way more than we ever did before mm-hmm. because we're showing in our content and what we're taking them to to be an industry leader with that person. Right, we're scratching their problems off a list in front of them. We're showing them, we're stating the problem as they might state it and then scratching it off the list. We're saying, 
oh, we've got that button down. Do you need help with that? Because we kind of nailed that. And this way, the margins are tight, right? Because we're not trying to appeal to people over here. We're trying to appeal to people just in here. Yeah. And and you know what, Maria? I, I, I promise, Maria, I'm going to shut up in a second. <laughs> what, it, what it does is it tells people, we're not trying to be everything to everybody. We're not trying to be remarkable. We're trying to be good at one thing, yep. not okay at 10 things. Yep. So I'm shutting up. Go ahead. You're, the floor is yours. <laughs> Uh, the only thing I, I can't really, I can't really top that there, but um, the only thing I would probably add is in that whole process, as you're identifying the customer, as they do select and respond to you, you want to make them comfortable in the ability of doing business with you and they won't have to jump through a few hoops. Yes, we can pick this, we can solve this problem. And it's also super easy to work with us. We've, we've automated that and we've made it easy. And unfortunately, guys, that includes tax compliance when you're talking about exempt buyers, right? Mm-hmm. You have to make it easy for them to sign up and to do work with you, um, get their information, get it once, um, and not keep asking them for paperwork after paperwork after paperwork. So I think that when you get to the buying process, that is in, shouldn't be overlooked in marketing automation. So we talked about how, you know, you tax automation, you know, and everything is there. It, what is the risk for companies who continue to do it the old way? And, you know, maybe they have a paper trail. What is the risk for them to, to not get on board with, you know, doing some automation and, you know, doing a better job of their business processes and compliance? Maria, I think that's yours. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, we could go on for days about that. So um, where do I even start? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, one of the risks for manufacturers as an, and distributors, we're generalizing here, right? But when, when it, for the businesses that sell to a customer that wants to be exempt, a B2B transaction, especially if that business is um, exempt, or maybe if they're not, I think the risk of not understanding where your um, compliance footprint is, as I mentioned, not understanding where you need to collect and remit either sales tax or exemption certificates is really important. If a state finds you first mm-hmm. and you haven't registered, before they come to you. I mean, if you volunteer to come with them, you kind of have, you sometimes have an opportunity to abate some of the fines and penalties. But if they find you first, game off, right? You have to pay everything. So as you are moving into the e-commerce space and becoming more aware of selling outside and in other states, you really need to get your business compliant because it can be expensive. And I know that a lot of people say, oh, I'm a little manufacturer in the north left corner of Wisconsin, no one will ever find me. <laughs> Believe me, they will find you. Um, so true. this is what people say to me all the time. Oh, they'll never find me. All right. I mean, I'm in the risk business. Um, it's amazing right. how many people suffer imposter syndrome to their own chagrin, right? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's to crazy. their own detriment. Yeah. And you don't even want to hear, I've been doing this a long time, guys. You don't want to hear the real stories that we hear every day. I, I Yeah. You, you don't want me to go there. It's it's quite frightening because it can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. And the thing with B2B, and I don't want to hog the whole call about tax compliance, but I am here. So <laughs> the thing with B2B is um, you're not supposed to be paying that tax. Those certificates, the, the tax ID that they mentioned, and those certificates are what is protecting you, protecting the buyer from paying the tax and you from remitting it. If you don't have those, it comes out of your pocket. That's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> You're supposed to be the middleman and collect it from the customer when it's due and remit it to the state. That's all you are. So why are you not worried about paying money out of your pocket that really shouldn't be your money to pay? So. Right. 
started that the logic just, <laughs> just you know it doesn't make sense to me so um I even forget what the question was now honey <laughs> We were talking about risks and laws, so no, I think you covered it. it. <laughs> so I, my, my, I always tell my, when I do webinars and stuff, I always tell people, if you, one thing, one trip to the doctor today is make sure your company knows where it needs to be registered and make sure you're registered and you're doing it right. Then you bring in the automation to make it easy, easy for yeah. you and easy for your customers. But you have to make sure that you're up to date with their, and I'll just say this, their laws, the tax laws. There's a lot that states pass that say you have to register, collect, and remit, and report, even if it's only once a year at zero dollars. It's a law, not a suggestion. Those are laws that the states <laughs> passed. Scott, I wanted to go back to your answer a little bit before about the the ICP or the ideal customer profile and limiting your your segmentation, if you want to call it that. Like, you know, was that easy for you when you came in here? Because you know, that's one of the hardest things to do. With the business, I mean, from from talking to other people, is that you know it's hard to limit it because you want to attack more people, and and it's hard to explain to to other stakeholders. No, no, I just want to attack this one, right? And and you know, how how would you handle that? I'm very curious to know. <laughs> well, <clears throat> okay, so uh, it's a great question. Thank you for asking it. Um, and you're right, it's hell trying to uh, be hyper focused and disciplined with your segmentation because it is a discipline. You have to. You have to recognize that anything you're building right now is going to take 12 to 18 before you see any enjoyment from it, any any satisfaction from it, any fruits of it, right? And if you're a greenhorn, you're not going to know that. So you're going to you're going to use the buckshot, right? You're going to use this sort of like this fanned out approach where you're trying to be great at everything, but you end up being okay at most things. And I haven't found an alternative to just doing the job poorly. <laughs> I think that if you ever catch me doing anything right, it's because I've screwed that very thing up a million times. <laughs> so I just don't think there's any substitute for getting it wrong for a, a protracted period of time. Um, probably means you're going to change jobs a few times, but you're going to learn. You're going to, Ram, I, I don't, I'm not trying to be cute with your with my answer to your question, but I haven't found a substitute for Knowing what you are and not not operating as though you can be all things to all people. I haven't seen that yield me anything. Right. And doesn't mean I didn't try it. I did. I tried and failed at it repeatedly to be all things to all people. And it was only because I have a few gray hairs now and I sleep a little less at night that I learned that the only way to get this right is to be incredibly disciplined about who it is you mean most to persuade. and. Honey asked a little while a moment ago about automation. I'm not sure I even spoke to the automation. I spoke to it conceptually, what we're using automation to achieve. So I spoke theoretically. But if you use automation to go after one segment and it's super focused and you really, your team believes that this segment is comprised of a finite amount of people, but they're incredibly well suited to hear whatever the hell it is that's on your mind, what, you, what happens is you actually win customers that way right. because you become centric. You've become completely focused on one kind of persona. If you now insert that idea into automation, well, now you can do some attribution modeling, right? If you can see what the buyer is doing, you can attribute this behavior to this outcome. You start to model that with automation. You start to create almost a template for serving that to many segments of your buying public. Circling back to you, Ram, the only way I have found 
to get good at it is to tell the boss from the brass all the way down to the guy who pushes the broom. Tell them, we're not going to get anywhere if we do it that another way. We're just not. If you want to do this, that's fine, but I'm not your guy. If you want to hit everyone, I'm not the guy for that. But if you want to win, if you want to grow the company, the responsible way to do it is to be meaningful and passionate to only a passionate segment. I think, Ram, you said to stakeholders, et cetera, and I picked up what you were putting down that, you know, Scott, the resistance must be um, intense. It has been. But when you demonstrate that it's worked, when you demonstrate that it's worked, if you give it six months or eight months and it starts to work, I found the brass shuts their mouths. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, I mean, the reason I asked is, you know, I, you know, I've been I've been doing different things. I've done e-commerce marketing, etc. And one of the things that that I found a lot of resistance in is that if you focus on this, we're losing this large amount of customers. Right. But, you know, the point that I always make is, but you, they are not your customers at all, right? They're not your customers. You're not losing not. You're just well losing put. the ones that you could have won, right? So, so mm-hmm. that's, that's, that was very interesting to me that you said that. the you know, Quality, people, right? Quality, quality over quantity, quantity 100% of the, I mean, it's, it's it, like I said, if you're new to this work, sure, you probably don't know where to put your focus and you screw up. I'm, I'm an old man now. Like, I, I don't have time for that, you know? Like Maria is nodding her head over and over and over again. I'm saying that. I mean, it's clear that she's also earned her chevrons. You can't, you can't, you just simply, you could try to be all things to all people. I'll be sitting over here waiting for you to snap out of it. And then we'll get down to the business actually going and getting customers. (laughs) Right. Is that your experience, Maria? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've been with Avalara going on nine years now. And yes, you make mistakes along the way until you sort of hone that and you find the messaging and the, yep. the customers. But And you're always changing it, like tax plans, right? It's always changing every day and you're just constantly adjusting. Absolutely. But once you find it, you're in the sweet spot, right? Like you said, then they leave you alone. <laughs> and the boss goes, listen, you know something I don't, off you go. Right. Just yeah. go for right. it. Yeah. I do yeah. think that automation is just is the magic of it now. You know, the working in this industry the whole time I've been at Avalara, the old handshake, it's a uh, honey, you said this early on, right? The old handshake, calling people, uh, sales uh, force out in the field, we may still have them, but it's not as practical anymore. Yeah. I, I think that manufacturers and distributors really have to move towards automation if they want to stay in the game. And that's not yeah. automation manufacturing their parts, that's <laughs> automation and sales, right? right? Honey, can I can I dovetail for what Maria just said? Is that okay with you? Sure, go ahead. We study what buyers do mm-hmm. so that we can try to replicate that behavior, right? So we can try to sort of mechanize that behavior. And Maria makes a really, really good point. Um, what we've learned is that, well, it, the handshake versus doing something more automated, right? What we've learned here in the short time I've been here, only four years, is that buyers are ideal buyers where the margins are incredible, the loyalties through the roof, that sort of stuff. What we've learned is that Google isn't even fast enough. And Google is the, in my opinion, is among the fastest paths to instant gratification on earth, right? If I want to know something, I know it like that, right? Statistically, only 4% of the world visits page two because Google's that good at serving on page one, the thing you were querying. So 96% of the time, Google gets it right. But what that means, but what we're learning in our data is that even as dependable, as reliable, and as fast as Google gratifies people, um, and as fast as these things gratify people, <laughs> what we're learning, honey, is that the dark funnel, the dark, the dark, dark social, dark funnel, 
this peer-to-peer sharing between intellectual peers, professional peers, it's happening more it's happening more to us than even Google. Now we get referrals, right? We get organic referrals to our website all day long, hundreds and thousands or whatever. But the buyer that's most motivated, the buyer that's most passionate and most enthusiastic about engaging us, they're sharing our content amongst each other, which no SaaS in the world captures. No software on the planet, no vendor on the, the world can tell me what's being shared among DMs in LinkedIn. Right. But when I look at how our buyers came to us, I see them coming directly through URLs this long. And there's no way you'll convince me they're typing those URLs separated by hyphens and things. What that tells me, to Maria's point, is this handshake thing was replaced by the internet. And the internet is now being replaced by peer-to-peer sharing, which is faster and more satisfying than icy cold search engines who are just serving you up messaging. So what I'm learning is that Google isn't even fast enough or quick enough to satisfy buyers as quick as is two people sharing an article that was meaningful. So Maria, for example, from Avalara, if they're writing content feverishly, I went to your website, I can tell you do. Um, (laughs) What's cool about the fact that Avalara is writing all this content is that that's going to be shared amongst their intellectual peers, their consumers. And they'll get get deals from that. They'll get customers from that and never know that's how it happened. That's actually a really good point. And um, my marketing with my marketing hat on, uh, we do provide a lot of content, and I think that's one way to generate business. We mm-hmm. provide a lot. This is a complex business that we're in. It's very, very specialized, sure. and most people don't really understand it. In fact, you can't even go to college and major in it. So even if you're CPA, you usually fully admit you don't know much about sales tax unless you're a state and local tax practice professional, which is a very, very small community. So one of the ways Avalara has gone to market is with that expertise. Thanks for pointing that out. We provide gobs and gobs of free information. We want yep. everyone out there to give it away. It. Yep. We give it away. Yes, we do webinars and, and yep. blog posts and, and our site. You've seen our site. It's constantly changing. It's constantly moving and changing. Um, but be that expert and your customers trust you. People now, I've been here a while, right? People now say, we know you're the leader. We know that you know this stuff. We trust you without having to ask for our resume anymore because right. we have provided and we still provide free information all the time. We want to sell software at the end of the day if you need it. <laughs> um, the information is free. Right, right. Yep. Well, and, and I mean, and, oh, go ahead, Ram. No, I mean, I'm just, was just going to say, we just, you know, for Avalara, it's uh, it's relatively easier because you're in, a, like you said, you're in a niche and, or, a, or a very complicated market. Like, you know, take us, for example, Applesol, where we build e-commerce and we build SaaS software and stuff like that. Uh, you try to write content, there's you know, for everything over. you can think of. There's a million people who've written a million pieces of content. And then, uh, you know, even though there's, there's you know, some thought leadership in, in every company or in, in some companies, at least, it's hard to get out there. But, but you know, you're right. Content is, is, is a big deal for, for especially industries that are not you know, as, as, as cookie cutter as an agency is. So I would say, I totally agree with you. And even being in tax compliance, of course we have competition, right? So of course the other, other people in this industry are trying to provide content as well. And it's, it's a trick to be seen as the leader in the marketplace. Um, Is there any more more gratifying feather in your cap than to know that peers are exchanging your content as subject matter expertise? I mean, that's really flattering what's that, what's that old ad added added uh what is it um 
something is that since you meant sincerest form of flattery, what is it? When they when they lift it from you, yeah. When they copy it, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, copy uh, copying is the imitation. Most imitation is the most sincere form of <laughs> yeah. flattery. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so with that, I mean, I don't know, honey. You know, I'm just uh, picking off from you a little bit. Um, you know, we we spoke about a lot of automation, marketing, and all that, but but this Scott Scott was earlier saying that they just have uh, you know they just have a. a quote page really there uh, and we don't publish pricing and we don't do all of that wanted to speak a little more about you know end-to-end e-commerce because you know you're talking with this is an e-commerce podcast i know that there are there are challenges to doing that like scott said in their industry pricing is very secretive right mm-hmm. uh, but what about after they've done the first order and what if, you know after they've done the initial purchase and you've set the price list and all that is that something that that in, you know, and not just to you. I mean, in asking other people as well, is that something that you would consider something that's in 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 front right now, or is it are those still a little 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 behind? Uh, how, how do you mean in front or behind? What do you mean in front or behind? Is it urgent or is it a little less urgent? You know, yes, we need to do it. You know, but it's not that urgent yet to to do the reordering, for example, or the tracking or, or the uh, fulfillment or connections to your backend system so you can show inventory and things like that, right? Even if you don't show pricing, are those are those something you consider urgent? Are those or are those something that you're thinking is, you know, can come a little later? If your question is, once we've got the buyer interested in our product and we've come to an agreement on pricing, et cetera, how do we, how, how are we, what are we doing to make, to make sure there's a loyalty to that product and purchase? Right. And just also making it easier, right? So you know, if you, if you want to reorder, I, I can call a salesperson, but I don't have to, right? From from an e-commerce standpoint, I'm asking, is that something? Sure. That- so we would encourage a customer who we know is going to recurringly purchase an, a widget. We mm-hmm. encourage at the very outset blanket orders so that that it is it is painless. So there's an interval, there's a production schedule, and we honor it faithfully, and we release parts out the back door within that time frame within that um, that schedule. Mm-hmm. So, and that's kind of a standard practice with us. So that's, that wouldn't be particular, that wouldn't be especially um, interesting in our world because a lot of the recurring buyers that we have, and most of our customers are buying products again and again and again, right? To refill supply and et cetera. It's pretty predictable in my line of work. Would you agree? It's, it's blanket orders. And then we release at those intervals. So that's how we handle production control. That's how we handle inventory control. Pretty painless stuff. It doesn't touch the e-commerce side of the website at all. It's actually pretty simple. We're an interesting proposition because we're partly e-commerce, but partly uh, sort of a, a custom manufacturing shop. So we have two kinds of customers over the counter where it's just piece parts, in and out. They come in one door, they go out the other, or we produce them here and we send them out the door. The other side of it is a consultative exercise much more akin to what Maria would do, which is an intellectual exercise where you're crafting a product or a solution out of a very unique set of needs. In either case, though, if it's a blanket, what we would call blanket, we are releasing according to that blanket. And that's it. It's actually pretty painless as that goes. Do you have anything you want to add to that? I mean, the over-the-counter products that are just being sold, we can tell when the customer will need it just based on their past history. The kind of more consultative stuff we have to do which could be interesting to incorporate more automation into it would be when we're custom making sort of parts or sort of parts that would be custom made because of the revisions that happen after that. So many of our customers that we deal with are in the research and development stage. So at first they're ordering five pieces of something. Then 
Two months later, it turns into 5,000 pieces, right? 5,000 pieces, but there's a slight change to it. So that becomes much more consultative as opposed to them getting automated through the website or having something there. So there is a part of after we share the price that things can adjust. So that is always on the salesperson to keep an eye on. Those are good points, Ron. A lot of what we do is revised. Yeah. As you might imagine, I mean, it probably is true of you too, right? You probably have a statement of work and then it, it, there's some scope creep and suddenly you got to reve- revisit it, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not on, right. And Maria's even nodding her head, right? It looks like a duck at first, then it turns into an elephant, right? So, <laughs> right. We have the same, we have, right. Thank you, John. That's a really good point, right? So we'll start with something that's square or round and it'll turn into something that looks like a star. So, and if that's the case, then yeah, there are, right, there is obviously a consultative and automated process by which and we that would be tough to replicate with automation. Yeah, right, right, because it's consultative, right? I mean, Maria, isn't, it, isn't that true of your situation? Don't, aren't you selling an intellectual service 100% of the time? We're selling software, services, yeah, things change all the time. Depending yeah, on the company the need, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. and depending I on... I love when software can't fix it because then <laughs> it, it's up to us to, you know, to solve it. I, like, I, I, there's no I, I just tell the reps I like the hard ones, but yeah, they, I mean, the, I think in anybody's business, if you're not just selling widgets that, well, maybe if you knew what you are selling widgets in the manufacturing world, right. It, it's still going to change. But remember, we have to make it easy. We have to make it easy right. to make those changes. And I, I look at automation too. I work with sales reps. They've heard me mention that a couple of times. So I train sales reps to make sure they understand how to speak to the industry and the products and services. So we have to remember when we implement automation, when we add these additional channels to our businesses, that we're making it easy for our salespeople and our internal teams, our finance people, everyone working internal. We want to make their jobs easier as well. So as you implement these things, don't make your team jump through hoops. I'm currently working on a new quoting system with Avalara and I'm rolling my eyes every day because it doesn't look easier than the old one. We have to make our salespeople and our, our internal team, we have, we have to think of them as we implement automation. Right. Ram, I don't, maybe you can speak to that from your company's perspective. When we add these things, we want to make our easy for our customers to buy, but easy for the staff to use and do our jobs more efficiently as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in fact, um, one of the things that I've been talking to some of the customers was that as you bring in more and more e-commerce, it almost becomes a conflict with your sales team because they feel like, you know, uh, is this taking my place, right? And <laughs> and one of the bigger things of e-commerce design is uh, when you do B2B design especially, and I mean, it's already very compli- more complicated than B2C because of the, the coding, the, you know, the, the interaction that's needed between between a salesperson and your website and, and the backend integration, all of that. But it's also, you know, getting that salesperson his 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 voice heard right that hey i'm going to be coding here so you know i need a backend or i need something that i can easily use like you were saying the code process is going to get more complicated mm-hmm. there's already some some friction there about you know as you're going more e-commerce are you taking away my customers i mean I, i've had another uh, conversation with a customer where they said okay if he is in your territory you get the the sales even if it comes online Right, so so that was one of their solutions to not antagonizing their their salespeople and saying, you know, you're taking away my territory, right? right. So um, it, it, it's it's very important when when you design, you, you need to involve all of those people. Like if your sales if the sales is not using that properly, no matter what you do to get that code in, uh, Scott's one hour window or whatever the short time frame window is not going to be met, right? right. Mm-hmm. So uh, then there's many other such stakeholders in that in that flow, like. 
Um, and you, like I was saying, saying earlier, if you think about fulfillment and order tracking, right? Uh, many, much of it is automated. Some of it is not. So um, there are places where you need someone to say, "Hey, this pallet's you know going on this date, or this is delayed, or this is broken, or whatever that is." That needs to be considered as well. And that's why B two B commerce is a little more complicated than than B two C, where where you know, and, and not to mention pricing at all. So. Yeah, so, I mean, complicated answer to your question, but yeah, salespeople and, and making that easy to use, right? Not just for the customer, but for internal folks is, is really important. Right. There's nothing worse than making a deal hard for a sales rep to score. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what we say at Avalara is if we make it hard for them to sell it, they just won't sell it. Right. Because we have a lot of products and services. So if this one particular one is tough to sell, well, we'll bother. Right. And plus, we don't want to give salespeople a reason to point back at MQLs and call them invalid. <laughs> no, we don't. Right. Do, we, do we need more silos? Of <laughs> no. no, we already have bricklayers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I know we're getting probably close to time. So I uh, just want to kind of wrap it up all up in a little pretty bow, if you can even do that. Because this conversation could probably go on for hours and hours and hours when you're talking about you know, e-commerce and B2B. <laughs> well, you might need more Next than time. wine. Um, Maria just lit up like a Christmas tree. <laughs> Friday afternoon. Uh, yeah, you got a bit of a tell, Maria. <laughs> so, I mean, I would say probably when you're talking about e-commerce, whether it be B2B or B2C, or even in some cases, you know, you've got D to C, where you have distributors now going straight to consumers. I think it's all going to come down to the same thing, is as the buyer's age and the millennials take over, personalization is going to be key. You have to know the customer. You have to be able to provide them what they want, when they want it, how they want it. And they want to be able to log into a portal that's just for them, that gives them just their stuff so they don't have to go through a slew of things. And that's where you see a lot of B2B customer or or, um, suppliers and things like that now going with just these login portals. So they may not have- And that's table stakes, honey. Mm -hmm. That's tables. I mean, that's- that's just the price of admission. That, that's not remarkable. If you create an environment where if I sign into SavaCable.com, I see only what I've done last and only what means something to me, that's not splitting the atom. That's basic. That's just the price of entry. Yeah. So we shouldn't lull ourselves into thinking because we deployed some brilliant SaaS tool that allows us to customize the buyer's experience once signed in, that we did something remarkable. The remarkable part didn't happen yet. All you did was show up. Sorry to cut you off, but <laughs> I think it's an important distinction. People think that that's the sexy, shiny object. That's nothing. That's the first All you've done is show up when you've mm-hmm. done that. Yeah. But, but you know, Scott, I mean, if you think about it, how many manufacturers are doing that? So, you know, uh, in a sense... I count on that, Ron. going up even, you know, that, that's what Honey's point, I guess. Is that, you, you don't know. think I'm sitting here saying, should I even say this out loud? <laughs> yeah, at least show up, right? <laughs> this is like, I'm giving away pearls here, man. We're just giving away the farm to these people whoever's listening to this thing. Right. But... The thing is, you know, as you said, you know, impression. So they share your information. That's the highest. Oh, yeah. Of compliment. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. And, and that's really what this all is, is, you know, 
getting peers together, getting vendors and customers and everybody and just talking about e-com, sharing the wealth, sharing the information, growing as peers. And, and maybe, you know, someone listening in goes, I didn't know that. And they walk mm-hmm. away with a great pearl of information that they didn't have before. And I don't mean to denigrate, you know, having the right SaaS in place. That's a step in a series of steps. I'm only saying that once you're there, you're not, it's not time to get comfortable. You're not right. done. All you did was set up, sort of set the table. Now, like we have to dine now. You know, it's it's a little, it, it's more work to be done. I don't mean to, I don't mean to sound like that's not, if you are, to Ron's point, if you're a manufacturer doing this and like Saba does, then give yourself a pat on the back, but don't pop corks yet. We're not done. <laughs> We're just getting started. Sorry, Maria, the wine has to wait until a real victory shows up. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to start stealing some of your isms. <laughs> Okay, I'm so glad we're recording this. Don't worry, I'll give you credit. Thank you. Okay, well, I mean, let's let's wrap it up with just you know, kind of let's go through you know everybody again and uh, just share how you could you know someone if one someone wants to get in touch with you, someone has questions about Avalara Maria, how how do you recommend they do that? Well, the easiest way is avalara.com. But then, of course, if you want to reach me directly, and again, information is free around here. So <laughs> maria.tringali, it's right there on your screen at avalara.com. So would love to hear from you. Happy to answer questions. Also refer you to, we have millions of partners. Maybe not millions. I might be exaggerating. But we have lots of accounting partners. If you want to talk with a professional about your business as well, or just get questions answered. So thanks again for having me. I loved it. Oh, you're welcome. Scott and John, if uh, if someone has a particular need for a cable assembly, how would they get a hold of Sava? Well, if they want anything, right? I mean, if we just want to talk about marketing, whatever. <laughs> um, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find John on LinkedIn just by spelling out our name. Scott Daly with D, D as in David, A-I-L-E-Y. John's very last name. C-I-C-E-R-I. And then I would just recommend going to the website too, giving us sure. a call. Anything like that. We'll yeah, we're at savacable.com. And our email addresses are our full spelling of our name separated by that. Scott.daily at Sava, S-A-V-A cable.com. Same thing with John's name separated by a dot. That's how you find us. And Rom, if someone wants to reach out to Atmosol and get more information about e-commerce, how would they go about doing that? Same as everybody else. We have the website atmosol.com. There are ways to get in touch with us from there. But if you wanted to directly get in touch with us, we use the first name, uh, sorry, first initial last name at appasol.com. So it would be R Mohan at uh, appasol.com or uh, even for Honey, it would be H. Olson. Olson. Sorry to take your introduction away, but <laughs> H. Olson at, uh, uh, at appasol.com. So that's the format that we use. So, um, yep, that's the best way to get in touch. All right. Well, I think that uh, pretty much wraps up for this particular session. I want to thank everybody for joining us. And it was great yeah. conversation. I actually walked away with some stuff I didn't know. So thank you. Again, if anyone wants to get more information from Scott or Maria or Ron, please feel free to reach out. And thank you very much. Thank you for listening to e-commerce insights presented by Atmosol. We hope you have learned something new or took a nugget of information away to help you as you travel the world of e-commerce. Until next time, keep asking questions evolving your business and learn every day.